Hello, I'm Tom Ballard. So I didn't get to go to the Sydney Mardi Gras this year because on the same day as the parade, my cousin Beth was getting married to her partner, Tim. It was a really beautiful wedding. The weather was perfect. Beth and Tim's baby son, Edgar, helped hand over the rings. It was adorable. I laughed and I cried and I got drunk and I danced with my mum and dad at the reception. But, of course, there was that weird bit. That weird bit where the celebrant had to specify that in Australia, marriage is defined as being between one man and one woman, no exceptions. Tim and Beth asked the celebrant to clarify that they wished this wasn't the case, which was very nice, but it's still just odd. It's kind of sad. Australia is the only developed English-speaking country in the world without marriage equality. There are thousands of Aussie couples out there who can't tie the knot, even though they pay taxes like everyone else, even though they can fill out all the paperwork, their gay hands don't stop them doing that. They can't get married, even though they're in love. I'm a gay Australian. I grew up in the country, which is not always the most forward-thinking place to be, but I'm really lucky. I've received nothing but love and support from my friends and family ever since I came out at age 18. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even know if I want to get married one day. But I'm damn sure that I shouldn't be treated as a second-class citizen just because I happen to make out with dudes. Like most other Australians, I believe that same-sex marriage should be passed now and that we should join the rest of the world in recognising that love is love. But while I'm waiting for that to happen, I'm going to be your host for this. A new six-part audio series from Audible that's turning up the volume on marriage equality. We're talking about what it means, why it's important to a whole lot of people, and what it can teach us all about that crazy little thing called love. You're going to hear some extraordinary stories, you're going to laugh, and you might even shed a tear or two. But don't worry, I'm here for you. This is Listen to Love, an Audible original series. In this episode, you're going to meet ordinary Australians caught in something of an extraordinary situation. They've been lucky enough to fall in love and they want to get married to the people they're in love with, but they can't. Broadcaster and performer Joel Carnegie had a chat with five folks about how our current marriage laws can really impact on people's lives in different ways. Kathy, Peter and Bon, Amy and Amanda. I woke up in normal morning to a text message from Amy that led me to an envelope telling me to go to the place where we first met. And uh, very close to the place we first met, there was an envelope with my name on that was taped to a park bench. And therein uh, began a scavenger hunt to a lot of the places that were special to us in our relationship. Inmore Park in Sydney's inner west was packed with people at the time. Kids were playing ball, People were just relaxing under the shade of some large fig trees. And Amy was standing there with a bunch of flowers and a wonderful picnic. It was very nerve-wracking, I guess, because I'd planned this whole day and watching her walk across the park, I was doubting myself, I guess, and just wondering what she was going to say like everybody is when they pop that big question. And by this stage, a small crowd of people were watching Amanda approach. And I thought, okay, there's something going on here. And um, as I got closer, Amy went down to a knee. And Amy proposed to Amanda. And she said yes. They now have a young son, Archer, who was 20 months old. And they have another son on the way. 
for me, it's always been about that vision that I grew up with that, you know, you go to school, you might go to uni, you get a job, you meet someone, fall in love, start a family, get married or get married and start a family, whichever order. For Amanda, she too could have her fairy tale moment. She had finally met the one. But sometimes reality doesn't always match the fairy tale we've been told. Whilst Amanda and Amy did have a ceremony, that official piece of paper is as much about their children as it is about themselves. It's really important both to me and also for our kids to grow up in a family where we're recognised as a family unit by Australian society. Amy, do you see your family as being anything different to a family unit with a mother and father? This notion of a family being mum and dad and two kids is no longer the norm in our society, for starters. It it represents less than 50% of the family structures. A single-parent family is no better or no more valued than a double-parent family or a child growing up with their grandparents or a child growing up in an adopted family. So in that way, no, I don't see it as being different to many of the other family structures that dominate our society. Do you think that some of the challenges and stigma attached to some of the judgment that you face as a family could be overcome if Australia achieves marriage equality? I think having not only representatives, politicians, people of influence, community leaders coming out and saying in this day and age it's perfectly fine for uh, marriage equality to, to exist in Australia, I think that's a really important step because it shows young kids, LGBTIQ kids growing up, um, you know, whether they're in the city or in the country, it shows them that someone has their back. You know, there's, there's enough that people have to deal with coming out that it'd be great if we lived in a society where people said, yes, this is okay and we're going to embrace this and it's now part of who we are as, as an Australian society. As most parents would probably know, bringing an almost two-year-old to an interview and telling him to be quiet is not going to end well. Even playing on Amy's phone fails to amuse Archer. So in the end, we entice him to play on a toy car outside the studio. Amy and Amanda are keen to instill some fundamental values in their son. If we can teach him to be tolerant of people with other ways of life, other beliefs, uh, and, and respect that other people see issues differently to him, then I think we're doing a great job at raising him and creating the type of citizen that I'd like to see all of Australia, <laughs> I guess. Um, because there is hate out there, we need to teach more love. As a family, what does love mean to you? To me, yeah, love is beauty and wonder and excitement and adventure. And these are all things I experience with Amy. And um, I guess it's it's also about sharing the love that we have for each other with our son and our son that's on the way. It's really great to share that with someone special that I want to spend the rest of my life with. When Cathy made the decision to transition into a woman, the hardest thing was to leave a 30-year marriage, especially because they both still loved each other. For her, it was a shock and it was difficult and she did her best to adjust to it and to cope with it and understand it and to accept it. And then when she discovered that when I do fully transition, we would have to get divorced under the law, um, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, so, so we separated. The kids have had 
problems with it as well. It's very early days for them um, and they, they don't really want to see me at the moment. For quite a number of years I was living um, a couple of days a week as a man and the rest of the week as a woman. So um, I really only needed to be dressed as a male for the contact hours for work and the rest of the time I, I lived as a woman. Um, but when I say I st you know, my transition started four or five years ago, my first recollection of being trans, I was five years old. That's quite a, a thing to, to realise at five years old. Well, I couldn't put a name to it and, and I couldn't put a name to it for many, many decades to follow. But it, uh, it was at primary school and uh, we were playing dress-ups as kids do and I kept grabbing the girls' clothes. And um, then one week I noticed that the girls were a bit upset about that and the teachers were looking at me funny and I realised it wasn't socially acceptable. So it w went underground from there. It resurfaced and went back and forth dozens and dozens of times and it caused a great deal of sadness and depression. Once you made that decision that this was, the, this was really the path that you were going to take, were you prepared for everything that would unfold? Um, no. <laughs> Short answer. Um, I, I didn't have a choice. This wasn't a choice. I, I had to go where I was going. Um, but I'm an optimist and I thought that um, people would adjust and accept me and, um, and it would all be fine. Because of that impact, did that make you think twice about the path that you were on? No, not at all. It, it wasn't really an option. I was a pretty empty person and I was very upset and sad and I had no reason to really hang around any longer, so I hit rock bottom. And the euphoria of, you know, finding your true self and coming out was, is just magnificent. It's wonderful. When was the moment that you felt that marriage equality was important to you now as a transgender person? Look, I think I've always in my life felt that it was unfair that anybody couldn't get married. But for myself, I've just got a new partner, uh, a new relationship, and, uh, you know, maybe one day we would like to get married. So legally at the moment we can get married. Even though I live and appear as a woman, we could get legally married. <laughs> but as soon as I change my gender marker, which is what I'd like to do, um, then we either can't get married or if we've already got married, we have, we have a forced divorce. So it's, it's just crazy. And what does your new partner mean to you now? Um, she's wonderful. She's very caring and um, very interested in, in me and our life. And, um, yeah, she means everything to me. It's wonderful. What do you like doing together? Well, we like getting dressed up and going out and partying and having fun and going out to dinner and going to the theatre and seeing shows and going on holidays and, um, and then crashing at home and watching TV. Just all the normal stuff. Mm. How does your family feel about um, your your new partner and about this this new path that you're you're taking? They they, they don't know yet. <laughs> ah, okay, mm. okay, yeah, soon. For longtime gay rights activists Peter and Bon, coming out was an extremely public affair. In 1972. The couple were featured in ABC TV's groundbreaking documentary, This Just Happens to Be Part of Me, as part of the Checkerboard series. In the opening sequence of the documentary, a brief hello kiss 
ended up becoming the first gay male kiss on Australian TV. After the documentary was broadcast, Bond was sacked from his job as the secretary in the church in Mosman on Sydney's North Shore. But this didn't deter them. Peter and Bond went on to set up the first gay and lesbian helpline from their living room and later helped organise the first Mardi Gras parade in Sydney in 1978. They fought for law reform, greater tolerance and to stop homophobic violence. But coming out so publicly meant dealing with a lot of public backlash and worst of all, being treated as inferior. When we became a couple, we faced potentially as a couple to be criminals because the the decriminalisation of homosexuality had not happened in New South Wales. It was many years later. Uh, on the books also, there was the uh, a provision that psychiatrists had of saying that homosexuals were potentially mad. So we had those kind of, of things. So what I'm saying is right from the beginning of our relationship, we've been treated as second-class citizens. And mentally ill second-class citizens with it. What was it like to being described as having a mental illness? I was glad I had his hand to hold uh, because at least I could see that he wasn't mentally ill. And um, I hoped that he could hold my hand and get the same feeling. But the whole concept was to us so um, fatuous and amazing that uh, we couldn't get our heads around that stuff at all. In 2016, Peter and Bond celebrated half a century together in front of family and friends at a special ceremony in Sydney. And so we consider that we're now half married. And would you both like to be formally married? Most certainly, because that would take away uh, a second-class citizen label, which we've carried forever. Uh, for Australia, that probably the last label to be removed from us to become equal with so-called straight couples. Yes. Peter originally came from the Netherlands, but chose to spend his life in Australia instead, with Bon. Bon is probably one of the most compassionate persons you could find. Extremely generous. He's just lovely to be with. Peter has been my love and, and support for more than 50 years now. As a rock, he has uh, stood by me and stood under me and stood above me for many, many years. He is um, also the cook in the household, so um, it's his fault that I'm still around. I might have lasted about six months had I not met Peter. Bon, when you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer, what ran through your mind? Did getting married suddenly become a much more urgent priority? I think it did somehow. It uh, just seemed that we were lacking in acceptance by the community because we couldn't marry. And uh, not that we crave acceptance by the community, but um, 
marriage would create a recognition of a 50-year relationship and a 50-year, I might say, successful, happy and wonderful relationship which we've enjoyed together. It would be lovely to have that just sealed and with a bit of paper to wave around to prove to the world that we love each other. If marriage equality doesn't happen soon, what does this mean for you both? Well, uh, I'm not going to live for very long now, so uh, it means we just never get married if it doesn't happen within the next few months, say. We'll remain two individuals, two single people, despite our 50-year history. That's tough. It is. And if it doesn't happen before before that time, what will that mean for you? How, how will you be able to, to reconcile this? Well, I won't be able to reconcile it. It will just be a, a sad ending of something we both deserve. Uh, we both deserve as human beings to have. Uh, yes, it'd just, be, it'd just be very sad. What is love? To be able to wake up in the morning and there he is after all these years and uh, not to just accept that but to be excited by it. And uh, 50 years of excitement is about all any human being should be expected to manage, I think. Peter and Bon. Kathy and Amy and Amanda were speaking there with Joel Carnegie. If you'd like to have a chat with someone about anything you've heard in the series, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or online lifeline.org.au. You can also try Beyond Blue, 1300 22 46 36 or at beyondblue.org.au. If you've enjoyed this first episode of Listen to Love, a six-part original audio series from audible.com.au in partnership with the Equality Campaign, Head to audible.com.au forward slash listen to love to download the full series free. And join the conversation by using the hashtag listen to love. Listen to love is a production of The Space Company for Audible Originals 2017. The executive producer is Joel Carnegie. The commissioning editor is Jessica Radburn for Audible Originals. Production by Beck Ferry, Natalie Silver and Helene Thomas. Sound engineers Tom Siegel, Dylan Boyd and Alex Quayle. I'm Tom Ballard. See you next time.